Hey, this is Jeff Benson from Mind Body Cheer. You're listening to the Let's Talk Cheer podcast. And we're on. This is the Let's Talk Cheer podcast, and I'm your host, Jason Larkin. Where we talk cheer, we talk life, and we talk whatever comes to mind. Five, six, seven, eight. Let's get started. Turn it up, you tune in into Let's Talk Cheer with Jason Larkin. We're talking cheer, we're talking like we know we're always talking. So listen up, you boy, I'm about to go all in. Five, six, seven, eight, we're on. Let's begin. This is episode number 85. Not sure if there's going to be an 86, but thank you for joining. We have a great episode for you guys today. Today we have on Jeff Benson, mental block specialist. And I can't say this enough. Jeff is such a great blessing to our industry. Coaches and parents alike are going to be blessed listening to this episode. If it's your first time here, thank you for checking out the show. You'll want to subscribe because we're always having great, interesting conversations going on or just a flat out awesome guest like Jeff on. Shout out to my mother, Sheila, Claire, Sarah, Robin, Adriana, Chanel, Tamara. We still have myself, my mysterious supporter, Heather Peterson of Flipside, and our newest supporter, Pablo. Pablo, we really appreciate you, man. We really appreciate all of our financial supporters. And if you're wondering how you can support the podcast without actually donating money, two simple ways to do that. Just one, watch us on YouTube, smash the like button there, leave a comment down there in YouTube. That would really, really help out the channel. But another simple way you can do this, just share this podcast. Send it to a friend, send it to another coach, post on your social media. That really helps out the show and would mean a ton to me. Speaking of sharing on your social media, we have our Instagram giveaway winner. This was randomly selected using our random name selector. And the winner is, drumroll please, Grace Clements. I already DM'd Grace to let her know that she won, but this was such a good time that we are going to do it again. I'm giving away a free coaches training. I have several topics that I talk about when doing coaches clinics and you will get one of those for free. So we'll hop on a Zoom call together, you and the other coaches at your gym and we will talk some cheer. If you're a parent and not a coach or an owner, you can still enter to win and win on behalf of the gym that you are a part of. All you have to do to win is share this podcast on your Instagram story and tag me in the post at Jason Larkins. That's it. Share the podcast on your story. Tag me in the post and you are entered to win. The winner will be announced in episode 89. The more shares, the more entries. Also, side note, we now have our own Instagram, the Let's Talk Cheer podcast Instagram. So you can find it. Just type it on Instagram, Let's Talk Cheer podcast. Link in the show notes and you'll be able to find us there. I'm the cheer director at American Cheer, AKSC.com, sharing with you my life, running a program, managing a staff, coaching the athletes, and working with the parents. And on the other side of the microphone is a man who's honestly going to help you be a better coach and a better person. Without further ado, my conversation with Jeff Benson. Jeff, man, welcome back to the show. (laughs) Thank you. Part two. (laughs) Part two. Yeah. And this is like our first official time with you actually be on the show before it was the Facebook and I was just, I was in a tight bind and needed something to come out that week. And I was like, you know what? Me and Jeff did that interview on our Facebook page. Like, I wonder yeah. if I can rip the audio from that. So yeah, we got the <laughs> audio from that, put that up as an episode. 
but I'm um, glad to actually officially have you on the show so we can, um, this actually been a, a very highly requested show. We've had people. Oh, awesome. Yeah, for sure. People have requested you on our little survey. People have requested you on my Instagram. And then the other Instagram um, request that came in the other day was like, this is like my favorite episode. And I was like, dude, we need, wow. we do need to get Jeff back on the show. So, um, let, let's well, talk some mental books, man. Yeah, thank you for having me. And congratulations. Let's Talk Cheer is booming. I love it. See you thank everywhere. You. Hey, we're going. We're, you know, we're trying our best just to talk cheerleading, right? So yeah. you know, it's been fun. It's been fun. A lot of support, a lot of like dedicated listeners, which makes things like really fun and just, mm -hmm. you know, it makes me want to go and, you know, record another episode. So it's super cool. Just all the love and support that we've gotten. And, you know, with great guests like you, like, oh, thank you. <laughs> let's go. So yeah. let's start here. We'll start just from the beginning and just establish, you know, some things. So what exactly is a mental block? All right. Great question. So I define a mental block by four requirements. The first is a skill that you have previously had with excellent technique and form. So to near like near precision, and you were able to perform it. So number two, in front of many different people. That's number two. Number three, hundreds of times. And number four, in many different places, in the gym, at a competition, at NCA, at Summit. And then, boom, all of a sudden, that skill you can no longer do. Yeah. There we go. And so <clears throat> let me ask the follow-up. Why do you choose to use that structure as like what your definition, how you're defining a mental block? The, I, fantastic question. Oftentimes, people misunderstand mental blocks and they just transfer fear and they immediately define, oh, that must be a mental block. I didn't throw my tuck. I have a mental block. I wasn't able to do my kick full, kick double basket. I have a mental block. The reality is they do not in most of these situations. What they have is fear. So think of fear on a spectrum. Um, you can have a little bit of fear, like a Likert scale. I have a one fear, but you can always have already have like a five level of fear. So fear, 10% fear, 30%, how much fear do you really have? And so though the techniques that I would use for fear, regardless of it being like 10% or 100% of fear are similar the amount of support that an athlete with a mental block needs so that like that 90 to 100 percent fear is going to be more intense than what an athlete with like 10 15 percent fear is let me give you just an example um so an athlete is learning around off that handspring tuck learning <clears throat> she was able to do it yesterday now she's at open gym there are 30 kids running around the floor and she goes to throw her tuck and she doesn't do it. There are a lot of people that would be like, Oh no, she, or I have a mental block. And the un unfortunate thing is what the athlete is doing or what the parent or the coach is doing with those words is stamping this really big, intense word or thought and cheer onto the athlete that's not 
necessary. Yep. It's fear. Jason, I'm, I'm sure you can think of your time in cheerleading as an athlete where you didn't throw something that you could throw previously. Mm-hmm. I bet you can think of a hundred. I have hundreds of personal examples that one time I didn't go for my full, that one time that I wasn't able to step out right. Mm-hmm. It's just fear. And there are ways to help yourself manage fear. And that's really what I'm trying to do in this industry is we, we know it as a mental block. Yeah. Great. We can also just substitute fear. And then we can talk about where on the fear scale you are. And then I can help you navigate or your coach can help you navigate through fear. Because the reality is fear is going to happen for the rest of your life. Yep. How are 100%. you going to navigate fear? I have fear of public speaking. Great. You can use the same techniques. I have a fear of asking that really cute girl out. Great. Use these same techniques. Mm -hmm. I have a fear of um, what's going to happen tonight. Okay, great. Use these techniques. So here's a question for you. Why do you feel like it's so, why do you feel like it's dangerous to mislabel a mental block or mislabel fear for a mental block? I know you touched on a little bit, but can you expand on that? Yeah. So I use a metaphor of waves. So waves come in an ocean in two phases, right? That little wave, I'm up here in San Francisco. So even our freezing cold beaches, our waves still come in two phases. That first wave is not a problem wave. The first wave is like, oh, cool. It's that second wave you don't want to turn your back on. Most people would see the second wave as not throwing your tumbling or a mental block. So it's like, oh no, ah, this is the problem. The reality of not throwing your tumbling is the first wave. The problem that occurs inside somebody with fear is not that the thing happened. It's the reaction, which is the second wave, the bigger wave. Mm -hmm. So the way in which an athlete, a parent, a coach reacts to fear is going to be deeper to imprint on the athlete's brain what is going to happen next or gotcha. to be able to predict what will happen next. Yep. There we go. So you just mentioned this as we're going through, and then you mentioned the athlete, the parent, and the coach, how they all yeah. react to it, which mm-hmm. we know as the, the, the triad. triad. Yeah, yep. that's right. So go ahead and expand upon that, like the, the triad and who plays what role in the triad for the athlete and mental blocks. Awesome. I am going to, to help make that answer make more sense. Um, I often talk about like, stay on your lane. All right. Well, we got to first understand what our lanes are. Yep. When working through fear, I'm talking science stuff. Now when working through fear, which occurs in the amygdala or the little brain, right? Fight, flight, freeze, mental block being freeze. There are three ways in which to deal with fear. There are physical strategies, there are mental strategies, and there are behavioral strategies to deal with fear. Mental strategies, we're talking like positive mindset, um, using that from Dr. Carol Dweck, a growth mindset, uh, changing your negative thoughts, challenging them using keywords. These are mental strategies. Physical strategies are the ones that are actually going to calm down your nervous system 
deep breathing, progressive muscular relaxation, in some cases, actual exercise, yoga, things like that, physical strategies to calm down the nervous system. The third, which often gets mislabeled because they sound the same, but behavioral strategies. Behavioral strategies are what you would actually use in the gym when you're trying to do the skill. Um, another way to think about it, progressions. Um, I use changing S3, surface skill spot. So if you have a mental block on your standing tuck, change the surface skill and or the spot to help slowly build small little ladder steps mm -hmm. to help you and help your amygdala not get overwhelmed by fear. Yeah. Okay. Are, are you following me so far? Do you want me to elaborate on any no, of that before I'm, I get I'm into following the you. No, I'm following okay. you. Awesome. So as a cheer coach, you're probably aware parents stay out of the behavioral lane. It is unhelpful for you to like, hey, um, Susie, why don't you go try your standing tuck on the trampoline? Hey, that technique you're using, you don't have your arms behind your ears. Mom and dad, I know if you are using behavioral strategies or interventions to help your child, your intention is to be helpful, but it is not helpful. You are mom, you are dad, you are grandma, you are aunt, you are uncle. Your help and support is going to be better suited in the mental lane. Developing a growth mindset, how your child reacts or responds to setbacks. And I'm not necessarily just talking about mental blocks. I'm talking about, in general, most athletes who have mental blocks have very similar characteristics. So focus on where those limiters or characteristics show up in other areas of their life. For example, perfectionism. Many athletes who have mental blocks are also perfectionistic when it comes to school. Gym owners, directors, coaches, can you relate to this? You say to yourself, this season is going to be different. We're going to get all of our teams on the same page. Or maybe you're saying we're going to get all of our coaches on the same page. You look out as the teams are practicing or maybe as they are competing and you know you can do more. Let me help you. I work with several gyms, large and small, each season, whether it's the summer and we do a coach's clinic or a stunt camp, or it's during the season and we do an in-person routine cleaning. I even do routine video reviews if you're just looking for some thorough feedback of the routine. You send me your routine and I send you a video back of your routine with everything I would fix and how I would fix it. Teams I have worked with have gone on to be world champions, NCAA all-star champions, NCAA collegiate champions, summit champions, and D2 summit champions. So if this sounds like something you'd be interested in, you can reach me via email at jasonlarkins at me.com or you can DM me on Instagram at jasonlarkins. I've got to get it right. A 98 is not okay. I'm being very dramatic, but hopefully people are able to relate to this. Oh yeah, my child gets really upset when they get an A minus on a paper. So talk and focus on that because that perfectionistic fixed mindset habit mm -hmm. is one of the reasons that athlete has fear in tumbling. Yeah. So don't talk about fear of tumbling. Let coach do that. You focus mm -hmm. on those mental strategies. And then also you can start doing the physical strategies when your child is upset, or let's talk about that fear scale. If your child's at a four or five, 
you trying to tell them to calm down? How do you react when your wife, Jason, tells you to calm down when you're at a four or five? You act really, you love yeah. it, right? It's so helpful. <laughs> you know, that's the last thing I tell Ashley, right? I'm like, awesome. I want to tell her to calm down. But I'm like, I, you know, it's never turned out to be good. <laughs> Ever. But we still do it. Yeah. So let's bring this, you know, bring humor to this like very serious and overwhelming topic. The reality is all of us mess up in relationships time and time again. I talk about like, oh, being able to read things and situate. I mess up with my husband. I mess up with my daughter. I mess up as a coach, as a mental block consultant all the time. The reality is recognizing, oh, I'm not on, I'm not on the right page. Let me fix that. So let's get back to this physical strategy and parenting and how you can stay in your lane. If your child, let's say, is really upset on the car ride home, you sound, so you be empathetic. You reflect, you sound really upset. I'm sorry that you are hurting right now. I'm sorry you are sad. Just empathize. What do we usually do in those situations? We try and solve it. Yep. Again, Jason, when you talk with Ashley and you try and solve her problems for her, how well does that work out for you? I've I've had to learn over the years that we have two different brains that I want to solve things. And you know, it's funny, actually being in a female dominated sport has really helped me to learn. I need to, I need to be more empathetic because when you said empathize, it's, it's one thing I want our, our listeners to really hear coaches and parents is that they need empathy. They want you to get on the same level as them and go, Hey, I'm experiencing, you know, this is a really hard place or a dark place or really play. You know, I don't need you to solve this problem. I just want you to feel what I'm feeling, you know? And so, yeah, yeah, just feel, I don't need you to defend me. I don't need you to, I just need you to be in this same spot that I'm in right now. It's great. Anyway, I'm off my soapbox. So that, no, it's great. That lane and physical strategies, when your child is at a four or five, because you have mirror neurons, is like science stuff talking, which means when you're connected with someone, you can mm-hmm. feel what they feel. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense. Mom and dad get mama bear, papa bear, kids at a four or five, I get a four or five. We're now both at four or fives. We don't make good decisions at four or fives. Mm-hmm. We just don't die. That's literally what's happening in our brain. Yep. Try not to die at a four or five. <laughs> so helping your kid get to the three or the two to be able to then have the process conversation if they want to. And then what you process is the mindset stuff, not like let's problem solve what behavioral strategies you use. That is key to the parent lane. Let me go faster because that was a lot. So the coach's lane would mainly be that behavioral strategy, being able to really break down skills for athletes. But that doesn't mean you stay away from the physical and the mental. It is essential in the triad that you are supporting the work of mom and dad. You're supporting the work of science telling us And when an athlete's at a four or five, you don't want them to tumble. So Mm -hmm. an example, 
And real quick, just to clarify, oh, yeah, sorry. your scale is from zero to five. Zero so we're not talking, five. you know, we're not talking one to 10, which is, you know, what nope. we typically zero say. We're, talk, we're talking zero to five. So five is being, yep. the, you know, they're the most stressed out. Yep. There we go. Crying, screaming, yelling. Um, so fight, flight, freeze, the response for the little brain, fight like a lion, run away or like a zebra or freeze mm-hmm. like a turtle. Mm-hmm. Some athletes, and just talking in general, some people go into their shell when they're at a four or five. They just stop talking. Some people will avoid a situation at all costs, flight like a zebra. Some people are going to start yelling, fight like a lion. So when we're at fours and fives, the idea is how do we get our amygdala to calm down, to turn off so that chemical that's through our body gets flushed out. We're talking about coaches and their lane. What I'm suggesting for you all is that you recognize when an athlete's at a four or five and don't ask, don't expect that athlete to throw the skill with anything other than duress, which is like the bad stress, like being overwhelmed. Even if the athlete is able to throw it at a four or five, that was bad. Not, yay, see me yelling at you and Saying the team is going to have to do 50 push-ups made you do your tuck. So I'm going to do that again. No. That is maybe well-meaning, but it is going to be catastrophic to that athlete. So to recap real quick. Parents, what they like to do is coach the behavior. They like to stay in the mental behavior place, but but they really should stay out of that and, and allow that to be yeah, often. And they should allow that to be the coach's lane and the coaches should be focusing on behavior. Also with coaches, we see a, an athlete struggling and what we tend to want to do is they're at a four or five and we want to yell them out of their mental block. And even if they do throw it because they fear coach more than they fear, you know, dying in their tuck, they decide to throw it, but we shouldn't go, okay, that's the new formula. So when they're at that four or five, what do you suggest that coaches do in that instance? So remember at four or fives, we don't, or anybody doesn't make Mm -hmm. great decisions. So asking an athlete at a four or five, a question is usually not helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, If it's like a lower four, let me just, I don't know. Hopefully your audience will be able to see me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the the YouTube okay. audience. So yep. join us on YouTube. Okay. Yeah, please do. So here here we go. Zero. Ben go. Ha <laughs> one. Can you just spot me really quick? Great. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Ben jump. Okay, I'm good. Ben jump. That's a one. A two. My hope is every coach right now is laughing cuz this is <laughs> universally a two. <laughs> <laughs> bad jump or oh i can't do it because yeah. even at a two out of five athletes don't throw it all the time don't forget yeah. this all right i'm at a three and then whatever happens yeah. they throw it they mm-hmm. don't a four is when you now as a coach you see the athlete like I don't think I can do it. Mm-hmm. I, I want to. I really want to. Okay, I got it. I got it. I got it. No. So you hear and you see the battle. Mm-hmm. So let me 
play role play here. All right, show me that standing tuck on the floor. Until you throw that standing tuck on the floor, nobody else does anything. Yep. That athlete should not yeah. be trying to do that. I don't care if she mm-hmm. has a double full. Yep. Stop. Stop. And then five, you know, tears, shell, yelling, yep. whatever. I'm in the bathroom. They run away. So of all of those examples, like those are physical examples of what you might see manifested in your athletes. At the four or five as a coach, recognizing that you may, I all, I one thing that I could do better as a coach is stop asking questions when athletes are at fours or fives. I do it with my kid. It's my habit. I know better, but I do it anyway. Often my question is zero to five. What's your fear? Almost universally. They're at a four or five. If they go. Or. If they say nothing, they're past a three universally because their brain is literally trying not to die. I, I realize how dramatic this sounds, but that's actually, let's use what you talked about empathy. That's actually what's going on inside the amygdala right now. Don't die. Don't die. Don't die. Even that question. I worry that if I answer wrong, I will be embarrassed to death. I will no longer be loved by this coach. And so that is why they couldn't say anything even if they wanted to. So all of us out there who's like, what's that word? What's that word? It's that same idea. It's your brain's connections are not happening. Does this make sense? No, it makes perfect sense. Okay. So what do we do as a coach? Instead of asking questions, make it easier. Usually if you get at a four or five, science tells us it takes about 15 minutes to get that chemical out of our body. So laughing is a great way to do it. Um, Doing something really easy is a great way to do it. Jumping up and down. So typically what I do is try and help get that, literally get that chemical out. It would be a physical strategy. Just shake it out, jump up and down. And you're going to know your kids are at a four or five because they're not going to want to do it. You're going to see that hilarious girl that everyone loves. That's super gregarious at a four or five. And you're like, come on, let's dance. She's going to look at you like this. Yep. That chemical is frozen in their body. So we got to find something that works for them to help them through it. That's kind of where the mental stuff will come in for a coach. It's essential. You know, your athletes because Jason, the way I would coach you through a four or five and the way I'd coach Ashley through a four or five Mm -hmm. is going to be really different. (laughs) I got to know you. I got to care about you and you got to know that it's true that I'm safe. And then eventually what happens is the chemical goes down. We don't go back to that skill or on that surface. We go and do it a little bit easier. Maybe it's, Hey, what about me giving you a one hand spot on that, that handspring on that mat? And they would say yes or no. If they, if they look at you and they say nothing, their chemical, it's cortisol is not down enough. Do something else. Um, yeah. Okay. What's your fear level? Zero to five. I know based on that response what it is. It's like a two, two and a half. Uh, a one? Uh, could it be more like a two? Yeah, maybe. 
Let's try a two-hand spot. Oh, yeah, okay. Zero to five, how much fear do you have? Zero to a one. Start them low again, and then slowly progression. Two-hand, one-hand, four-finger, three. There are a hundred different ways to do that spotting ladder mm-hmm. as a behavioral strategy, but in general, that's what I would do with an athlete who has gone past that three. Yep. And so you're okay with them tumbling. Tumbling at a three is okay. Four or five, we don't want them tumbling at all. We need to figure out how to get the amygdala back to its regular state, you know, cortisol down. Yep. Mm -hmm. And um, there we go. Man, there's so many different places we can go. Did you, was there anything else? Well, we didn't really talk about, I mean, we talked about the parents yeah. and the coaches. Obviously, I guess athletes kind of assumed. Um, is all three. <laughs> yeah. So you got all what, three. <laughs> is there anything? Here's one thing I'll ask. Um, there's so many different places. There's so much to unpack. I guess I'll, let's go. Let's start here with the coaches. Okay. You know, the podcast is supposed to be for coaches. We have a lot of parent infiltrators and we love all of you guys. You guys oh, are supposed to be here. But yeah. um but, you know, originally I was just talking to coaches. Now it's coaches and parents. So uh, for the coaches, I'm at practice. I'm running my team. And I have athlete who, you know, has a history of mental blocks, right? Uh, you know, is in the middle of one, right? You know, in the middle of one right now. So what do we do as coaches? I'm there. I'm trying to run the team. But this athlete who's struggling, what do I do while at practice? Do I let her just sit out? Do I give her homework? What do I, what do I do? In an ideal setting, or I often break up things in like average, good and great. Mm -hmm. What a great coach would do. We would have already had a conversation. If I know you have a mental block, I would explain, this is my lane, mom, dad, this is your lane. Susie, these are your lanes. You're responsible for this. I'm here to assist you. Your parents are here to assist you, but you're the driver of this bus. Mm -hmm. Towards your goals, your being on this level two team is not my goal. Mm -hmm. You come with me or you come at this team as this is what I want. So here here are bits. Now you take the reins. Wow. A lot of metaphors in there. All right. So (laughs) what do I do as a great coach? I've already had this conversation. What do I do in practice? My hope is Susie already has progressions in her, for in her brain, behavioral strategies, change the surface, change the skills, change the spot that she is going to put in for that skill. Let's use an example. We are warming up level two team, we're warming up standing back handsprings. Let's say Susie, for some reason, does not feel comfortable. A back handspring is a three. Yes, she could throw it, but we don't ever want to start our amygdala at a three. Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? Like I'm calm. Three, our amygdala is going to wake up versus a 0.5, a one, a two. When we slowly warm up or cool down, then it's way easier. I use an example of like going into the ocean. I am not a jump in the ocean. I'm a slowly walk in. That's what your amygdala wants. So, all right. She may be able to throw a back handspring on the floor, but let's have her for the first 30 seconds. My hope is she's on that tumble track at a zero, getting her back handspring. Cool. She already knows this. Now she puts that eight inch mat because that's what she loves on top of it. She throws it. She's good. She's using keyword. She, you see, I'm, you know, I'm coaching, but I'm still 
Good. I saw a deep breath. Nice job. Hey, I love how hard you're working. I throw a little growth mindset her way. Let her know I see her. I, she's still a part of this team. Then she pulls that eight inch mat and she puts it on the floor. Now she's starting to get, a, she's getting a little stressed. It's totally normal. She's over there. She, she's working her way through it. And eventually now she's on the floor. Hey, coach Jeff, can I get just a shadow spot? So she goes and I'm not touching her. She's agreed. I'm just following her. So if she needs a spot, I'm there to lift her up if her amygdala freezes her in the middle of the air. That's all that is. And now she's like, okay, I'm good. And now in under five minutes, she's ready to join our standing tumbling. Does that make sense? No, it makes perfect sense. So I'm going to recap just to make sure it sounded right to me. So we don't want ath- we don't want athletes, even if you prefer just to jump in the pool, we don't want athletes who just jump into the splash zone. We want them to work their way up and we just go, hey, on a scale of zero to five, how do you feel about the tumble track? Oh, tumble track. I'm I money there all day long. Okay, let's do some on the tumble track. And then we work our way up to about where their three level is, which might be, you know, it could be anywhere from doing it by themselves on the spring floor, or, you know, it could be, it could be a two-handed spot on the spring floor, you know, just depending on what that athlete's level is, what their, you know, mental state is as far tolerance. as- yeah. Yeah, their tolerance. There we go. Great word. There we go. Look at this guy. PhDs and everything. So, <laughs> so yeah, what, there we go. And- um. And we don't want them getting past that three. If they're past that three, then that is a no go. And we've got to find, we've got to get them. We want them tumbling in that kind of because you talked about this in the zone. book. Yep, yep, the uncomfortable zone, which I I absolutely love. So can we dive? You are probably going to yeah. go somewhere else, but can we dive That's, about yeah. the importance of yeah. them tumbling in that uncomfortable zone. Totally, I view mental blocks as. The worst thing that's ever happened to an athlete, but the best thing that could ever happen to you. Because I think that learning at such an, un, at such a young age, how to overcome a setback, if the parent, the coach and the athlete are all doing it with this growth mindset lens, you can frame it and learn how to overcome it with a whole different perspective. So that any, like, like a blueprint like a template, put any issue in front of me. And I rinse and repeat what I did to get over a mental block. I change my thinking, mental strategies. I take deep breaths, physical strategy. I find an easier way to do it, behavioral strategies. All right. So let's get into easy, uncomfortable, and overwhelming. Think of Goldilocks, right? She goes into the house of the three bears and she gets on the first bed and, oh, it's too soft. Skills that are really easy that you can do in your sleep because you have no fear. Easy. You can't grow here. Can't grow in soft and easy. Do we need to start there? Every day we warm up there. But all we're doing is warming up our body. We're not growing. We're not improving. Overwhelming is when we go in Papa Bear's bed and we're like, oh, this thing is stiff. This, I wake up with a neck curtain. This is not beneficial to me at all. So overwhelming skills we avoid because not only do we not grow, we actually get worse. We will go down fours and fives. That uncomfortable zone, I would typically say like one and a half to a three is uncomfortable. It changes per athlete, but in general, 
one and a half to three, that feeling of discomfort is essential in being successful in life. Mm-hmm. I know I just went really big there for a second. No, if you, get, you as a parent, get comfortable being uncomfortable. Well, here, well, let me, yeah, go, let me, yeah. let me regurgitate Please. what it sounds like Please. you said, yeah. and you let me know where I'm off. So we warm up in that zero state, but we're just getting the body warm and, you know, sounds like to me building some confidence in ourselves. Okay. I can, I can do this. And here we go. Um, living in that four to five zone that the, the really stiff bed, you know, that they don't want to move. They don't want to do anything. And so we can't live there and you're actually going to get worse. Just saying, I'm going to throw on as many weights as I can. We're going to get crushed. You know, if you're trying to do bench press, you're gonna get crushed under the weight. You aren't strong enough, but you need to find a weight that, you know, that you struggle with that's, you know, it's never fun to lift weights or to exercise, right? Uh, It's never like physically fun. Um, You know, you feel the burn and the lactic acid. You're literally tearing your muscles. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But then you actually, that's how you're getting stronger is by being in that uncomfortable state, which you would say is the one and a half to three zone. So we need to get the athletes to that zone where they're, they're uncomfortable. They can do it, but they're uncomfortable. And they learn how to grow and get stronger, obviously, yeah. physically, but mentally. Does that, are we on the yeah. right track? Am I missing anything? Yeah. I don't have to correct any of it. All of it's excellent. The one piece I would add is the cherry on top. At a one and a half to a three, you may be throwing it. Awesome. But what is your mental state? Mm-hmm. Is it growth mindset? This is a challenge. I'm going to do the best I can. Um, let me, I missed that last time. Totally normal. Let's try again. Yes, I do recognize that my teammates are throwing harder skills than me, but I'm on my own journey. Is that your mindset? The mental piece? Or is it a one and a half to a three? Come on, do it. You better do it. Just chuck it. Go, go. You do not want to get taken out of this spot because even if they're at that uncomfortable one and a half to a three, they're building or stamping this really negative mindset that will take this mental block and make it last longer and longer and longer. It's kind of like doing a, a climb up a mountain with a 50 pound bag. You could still do it, but it's going to be a lot more uncomfortable. You're going to go a lot slower and you're likely to get hurt and slide back down the hill and have to start over. So let's go here then, because we've met, you've mentioned growth mindset. I know a lot of our coaches know what a growth mindset is, but I, again, there's a lot of coaches and parents who don't know what a growth mindset actually is versus a fixed mindset. So let's dive into the difference between those two. I actually learned this from you, from the book, and it changed my whole perspective and the language that I use at practice. And so I, you know, I read the book five, six years ago or so. And it changed my whole perspective, my whole language of how I address the athletes. And now that I have Joey, who's two years old now, I, you know, she, she hears compliments, but you know, it's always, you've been, you've been working really hard. And it's really hard to like, it sounds weird for me to correct, you know, to give her these compliments of you. I know I could tell that you really struggle with that, you know, putting that block in that thing, but you stayed determined, baby girl. I and I'm like, it. I'm talking to I a two year old like this. Doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. You are stamped, yeah. Jason, you are stamping amazing things in Joey's mind. That's awesome. I love hearing that. Hey, thanks to your book. Appreciate you. Go, go get the book, <laughs> <Thanks> people. <laughs> well, and then let's go to the 
queen herself, Dr. Carol Dweck, who has researched mindset and actually has coined the two different types of mindsets, a growth mindset and a fixed mindset in her book, Mindset. So Dr. Dweck (laughs) defines mindset as the way in which you view your talent, ability, and intelligence. Essentially, the way in which you view setbacks will say whether or not you're using a growth mindset, which would say, ooh, setbacks are an opportunity for me to grow and improve. I'm, I'm strengthening those muscles. Even though it's uncomfortable, mm-hmm. it's going to help me get better even when I fail. Mm-hmm. Whereas a fixed mindset sees challenges as a sign that you're no longer good. You're not talented any longer. You're not smart. You're not gifted. And so they avoid those challenging things. They give up. They run away like a zebra to things mm-hmm. that they may not be successful at right away. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? No. Yeah. Perfect sense. It, and I'm not sure where I read this. I heard this eventually later on after I read it in your book, but it talked about the study that they did and they split half, you know, half the class. They said, Hey, you guys are so, you know, they, they get A's. You guys are so smart and you guys are so smart. You know, da, 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 da. Then they took the other half of the kids and said, you guys, you know, you guys got A's. You guys must have studied and worked really hard. Right. And then when they were, then they both were challenged with an even harder test. And the kids who are praised on their natural gifts of just being smart gave up, you know, significantly quicker than the kids who were praised on their hard work and work ethic. And those athletes, or not athletes, those students, you know, continue to work hard because they were praised on their hard work. Right. So. And the way that we view challenges and all those things, you know, it's really important for us as parents and leaders that we're shaping the way that these athletes and the, and the students see themselves as far as, I mean, we can just pray, we can just say you're a natural and you're so good. You're so talented, you know, and they think that's just a gift from God, why they can do all these things. And when they're challenged, they're like, well, God didn't give me that gift. And they need to know that, you know, in, in, there's a seed inside of you that you can cultivate if you work yeah. hard every day and you can overcome these these challenges. So I really love that that growth mindset. And I never thought about how that would play a role in a mental block oh my gosh, until I read is. your book. Yeah, because they go, well, every I can't. Athlete. Yeah. Every athlete. I've not met one who one of their top three vulnerabilities was mindset. Mm-hmm. All right, so now let's hop into we talked about the the coaches. So let's dive into parents. So what is the I know we talked about the parents role, but on a scale, let me ask you this first. On a scale of, you know, zero, we'll use your scale, the zero to five. <laughs> okay. How unaware do you feel that parents are when it comes to the role that they actually play with the with an athlete's mental block? I don't know if that's a fair question, but I would say in general, (laughs) the adults in kids' lives, this would include coaches, Mm -hmm. are very unaware Mm -hmm. of the potential limiters that you're putting on the child. Mm -hmm. So I would say three and a half to four. Yeah. Coaches who say things that might be fixed-minded, you're so talented. Like, I think I'm complimenting you. You're so talented. Mm -hmm. You're so gifted. Um, You learn that so quick. And then I post on Facebook, like, oh, here's this fool that I taught in five minutes because it's an Mm -hmm. ego feed to me. Mm -hmm. A lot of of lack of awareness by coaches. 
which because I think it's an adult thing, then the parents are also just as unaware who do almost the same things. Mm -hmm. Um, I would, I'm going to throw a little uh, support to parents. I would say I see better responses from parents Mm -hmm. than I do coaches in my way of working with athletes through a mental block. There we go. And let me say this real quick. I, I said it, I framed it that way because a couple of times I've heard kids who've like read the book go to their, and I've heard like the, well, I've heard the parents then go, yeah, I had no idea. Like she came back and she had all these things highlighted for me saying, you need to read this part of the book. Oh, I love go, it. Yeah, I guess. That's uh, awesome. <laughs> no, for real. For yeah. a kid to be able to be like, uh, mom, you're doing this and this and this and this and this wrong. That's, that's awesome. That's growth mindset. To be yeah, able to so, like, I'm going to tell an adult in my life they're doing it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. Apparently. And you know, I read the book and I go, oh, yeah, well, and you know, it's funny. I, I loved reading the book being like, oh, that's me. Like I, that's me. He's talking to me right here on this page. And so it was easy for me to see myself in the book. Um, I'm not sure all parents see themselves. Well, I guess, you know, not every parent has read the book, but know that as we as adults, and you're correct, it's adults in general, both the coach and the parents who don't realize how big of an impact they have in the athlete's mental block, maybe not causing it initially, but keeping them in that state Mm -hmm. when they're just simply trying to help, you know? That's right. And especially as a parent, they're a little bit, at least from my coaching perspective, I would feel like the parent would feel like they're a step removed because they're not the one actually in the gym every day with the athlete. Like the coach is like, "Okay, I'm here with you. We're gonna work on this." So anyway, I get we're talking about at. we're talking I, about parents. So you know, mm-hmm. hook us up. Nope. All right. So I, I want to empathize with that piece for a second. I think that is a very accurate statement that a lot of parents see. The issue is my kid isn't doing that skill that I'm paying you for, uh, uh, hoping for your expertise. So what are you going to do about that? That there is a lot of finger pointing in that way. And that would show that like, that's a five. If you're a parent who's out there who does have the perspective, like, well, I'm not paying them to have me teach my kid how to get over this mental block. Okay, good. It's fair. But if you don't realize that you absolutely can impact it positively or negatively, that would be problematic. You absolutely do. There we go. I'm not crazy. (laughs) You're not. I get it. So help right. get me back on track. Where are we at? No. So, so what should parents, um, what can parent, what can parents do at home to help the athlete? We talked about what uh, coaches can do at practice. What can parents do at home to aid in this? So let's use percentages. I would say 75% of the time, um, I would ask parents to focus on the vulnerabilities that the athlete shows that appear in other areas of the athlete's life. I used the example earlier, perfectionism, um, judgment, comparing themselves to other people, negative mindset, ne- just toxic negativity, just that constant stream. 75% of the time, focus on parenting that. And when I say focus on parenting that, 
it is unhelpful to don't do that. Again, I would encourage you to start with empathy. Wow, let's use a comparison. Wow, it sounds like it's really hard for you to not think about how good um, or what a great grade Jenny got on that test. Can you tell me, and then ask questions, can you tell me why you're focused on Jenny and her grade? Because blueprint, right? We look like, I can't believe Susie has her roundup back handspring tuck. I learned my back handspring before Susie. That, like, it's this exact same conversation, just put in a different athlete, a different name, and a different item, but it's the same thing. So parents, focus 75, the majority of your effort on looking at where those things pop up at home and make that your main focus. And then 25% of the time, it's about really maybe just introducing, like you give them the seed, like, oh, I hear that you're really frustrated with your mental block. You feel like you've done it all. And yeah, I feel, I hear that you feel really hopeless. Now, when my kids add a one or two at home, I would then say, have you been doing all the things that your coach has suggested? Have you done the online vidzing class that I paid for you to do with Jeff? You, you just, in, you introduce all these other things that they might, that they have as resources. What we're going to find is 90% of the athletes are not doing it all the things that they could be doing. And then as a parent, it's not about pointing your finger. It would be, you know what? I can see why it would be overwhelming. And maybe the last thing you want to do is get online and watch a video on how to calm down. Mm -hmm. But it, you did make a choice to not do it. I wonder yeah. if you made a different choice, if you would feel differently than you do right now. Mm -hmm. That's a good, I really like that. I heard someone talking about mental blocks once. And they said that parents shouldn't, they, they said the, 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 he said that the worst time parent or athletes feel the worst on their way to, and on the way from the gym, because parents bring up the mental blocks. And he said that parents should not don't initiate conversations about mental blocks. Like let, if the, if it's going to be initiated, the athlete should initiate it. Um, I don't want to pitch you against him, but how do you, you know, how do you feel yeah. about that? Uh, I'm open to it. I like yeah. to say I'm flexible. Mm -hmm. um, I like to try and stay in the gray growth mindset. Mm -hmm. That, that yep. in between, not that's right, that's wrong, but mm -hmm. the middle ground. And, and really learn from that piece. So in general, I would say parents bringing up a mental block is usually more harmful than good. So, but let's stay aligned with what I said about really that kind of mental lane. You are concerned with a parent, how your child is feeling. That's love. So it doesn't have to be mental block. It doesn't even have to be tumbling. We're going to, we're going to cheer. Hey, how are you feeling today? I'm feeling good. Do you have more than one word to describe how you're feeling today? Um, I feel all right. All right. Tell me one great thing about your day. Tell me one thing about your day that hasn't been great. And I'm talking about two cheer. So we're getting a kind of getting the kid warmed up on like 
processing school or whatever came before. Uh, with my kid, it's roses, thorns, and then a bud. What are you looking forward to, right? So, and then that last piece, is there anything that you're looking forward to today at practice? And then that, that is, that's, if the kid then wants to talk about tumbling, cool. My fear, right? So it's, it's only a two fear, but it's still fear. I have a fear that people are, that parents like, oh, I can never say mental block. I can never talk to my kid about tumbling. But then it becomes this uh, stigma, this thing that we can never say and ends up having more weight than it really needs to have. So can we get a little flexible and just like try and enter in conversations and just read the room, get like get a temperature read of what's going on after tumbling that I would probably say that's a concern. Um, so after tumbling, uh, I'll give an example from a parent that I've recently heard from. After tumbling, her kid came back into the car and her kid was like, yes, I threw my standing tuck with a two-hand spot on the tumble track. Read the room. I would suggest growth mindset in this situation. I threw it on the tumble track with the two-hand spot. I threw it and complimenting that is fixed-minded. So growth mindset this. You sound so proud of yourself. And then let the kid, I am, I am so proud of myself. Why are you proud? Well, I threw my standing tuck on the tumble track. I'm hoping my kid then, if I've done that middle lane, will expand. I'm proud I didn't give up. I'm proud that I worked so hard because I didn't throw it right at the beginning of practice. So maybe I have to lead her there. Wow, you sound so proud. Tell me why you're proud. Well, I threw it. So you mean you walked into the gym, got on the tumble track and threw it with a two-hand spot? Well, no. Well, tell me, tell me about your journey. Notice, I did not start this conversation. The kid, my child, started the conversation about tumbling, which is why I'm just like feeling if we can talk about it and I can do a little bit of that mindset piece, my mental lane. Oh, no, mom, you're so stupid. Why would you? Sorry, sorry, sorry. You're not stupid, but that question was silly. Okay, why is that question silly? I mean, you said I threw it. And you, you act as if you did nothing to make it happen. Well, I did this, I did this. So you use progressions. I'm so proud of you for taking little baby steps. Did you like read your body or did you just like guess? No, I like listen to my body. Did, were there any hurdles along the way? Yeah. Like I heard this, you can't throw it. You're not good enough. And what'd you do then? Well, I told myself you're being ridiculous. A high five. Notice. I am not talking about her tumbling. I'm not talking about that standing back tuck on the tumble track with a two-hand spot. I'm talking about the way in which she got to the thing she's proud of. So all this to say, I would just keep going with it. But this parent, understandably so, as she was talking to me, was explaining like, Jeff, she has a standing tuck on the floor. Like, I couldn't understand why she was excited. And so my reaction was like, wait, that's it? You didn't like go to the floor at all? or? And she's like, and so my daughter just doesn't talk to me about tumbling. Yeah. Because in that scenario, Let's, she's going, she's just praising that end skill, right? Which 
is just contributing to that fixed mindset. Well, you can throw it on the floor and throwing it here. And in the other scenario, previous to this, you're saying, you know, you're praising the journey and the steps and the progression and the, the person that it took to become yeah. the person to throw a two-handed spot on the tumble track. That along with the daughter was really excited and the mom came mm -hmm. at her with like, that's it. Well, yeah. Why are you excited she about this? She deflated, yeah. she mm -hmm. deflated yep. the balloon and now mom's surprised that she doesn't want to talk to her about her yeah. tumbling anymore. Like, cause she wanted the empathy. On. She wanted yeah, you, she, she wanted you to meet not her. only to be on her, you know, usually what empathy we're talking about, get on my level down here. But when you're excited, people celebrate want empathy. Just, me. yeah, just, yeah, celebrate with me right now for sure. There we go. Okay. So let's hop into, let's hop into this. Uh, you brought it up. Vidzing. Am I saying it right? Vidzing. Mm -hmm. All right. So Vidzing. So what's, what's yeah. going on with, with Vidzing? We have this online. I'm going to let you explain it, but let's just dive into Vidzing. Yeah. So to get, give the, mm. I, I want to be transparent. Growth mindset is show your flaws, show your vulnerability. I love Brene Brown and all her like vulnerability is key. The reality is you and I started talking. You're like, hey, Jeff, how are those workbooks coming along? Are those out? <laughs> right? And you're laughing because you're like, yeah, <laughs> Jeff isn't, hasn't done as much with those as possible. But or and I have chosen to focus on creating more online on-demand content for parents, coaches, and athletes. And it is through the web platform Vidzing. Uh, Vidzing does, it's kind of like Netflix for different things. So I have my own Jeff Benson channel and I have an awesome opportunity to get to connect with you coaches and parents and athlete that triad to help all of you be able to understand how mental blocks may be the worst thing that an athlete is occurring in their lives right now, but it could also be the best thing that happens to them. So I have a coach's course, which is, I think it's six videos of how to, it's really an elaboration of what we're talking about here. Not just like in theory, but like, let's, let's get to the nitty gritty. Let's understand more about the science behind what's happening inside the mind of an athlete with a mental block. Parents, very similar. And it's talking about how to become an expert on your lane. And some of the very common missteps that parents fall into, understandably so, that we haven't gotten into today, but essentially it's about value-directed behavior and really understanding when you are focused on what your values are, your core values, that is the tightrope that I want you to walk in helping your kid through a mental block. And then finally, I have an athlete channel as well, where I have a library of mental, physical, and behavioral strategies for you to use in the gym. You know, I just threw some of them out there, but I have a wealth more. I talk through how to do it. And then also from time to time, I have live, um, like right now I'm running a six week course where it's not just the library, but it's also, Hey, let's go and do a ladder step. Let's talk about what your struggles are. And eventually that will become on demand as well. Great stuff. Great stuff. So coaches can get on athletes. And I, and I suggest this to coaches. I mentioned this in the talk we did years ago on Facebook, that the reason why I got your book originally is because we had an athlete who had a mental block. It was my first year at American and she left the sport, like just couldn't help it anymore. Right. Decided to leave the sport. Just, 
I'm just, I just can't, I don't want to deal with this anymore. Right. And, um, and I remember thinking like, I did not do enough for this athlete. Like I should have done more to help her through her mental block. And so I remember going out and reading your book. And after I read it, we purchased like eight of them for the gym. And, and just, I wanted to, like, I wanted to help our athletes who, who face this, right? Cause it's, you know, it's so draining for them and it's draining for the parents and they're just devastated about it. I wanted to be able to do more. So I remember reading, I totally forgot the line of track or, oh, so, so coaches go out and read the book or take the course and really equip yourself on, you know, what you can do to help athletes in this state who go through it. Because all of us, if you've been coaching longer than 10 minutes, you've had an athlete in your program who is facing some sort of a mental block or they're just facing, you know, straight up fear and that you want to have the tools I was not equipped at that time and I'm not fully equipped now, but I, I'm not fully enlightened now, but, I, but I'm better than I was before. Right. And so I, I think all of us coaches get into the industry because we want to help out athletes. and we want to be there for, you know, when they face these challenges, you know, we think helping them out is just going to be helping them get their back handspring. But what happens when they lose it? And it's not a physical, you know, it's not because they can't jump anymore, you know? So I would suggest coaches get on there and then obviously parents and athletes, you know, that goes without saying. Um, all right. Do you want to hop into some of these questions from Instagram? I love it. All right. Let's Throw see. them at me. Keep me on my let's... toes. All right. So we have a couple of good questions that I, that I really like that I want to throw your way. So. When blocks stem from trauma away from cheer, how do coaches approach it, if at all? All right. So um, I would want to follow up with a question. Give me an example of what <laughs> you mean by that. Um, um, and I'll go. I'll throw here. I'll, yeah. I'll just, I want to say make up a scenario, but I, I see this happens. Um, an athlete takes, and I not necessarily think this is trauma, but they just take a year off of the sport and now they just feel like they can't tumble anymore. Um, but can we go with, can we go with that one? Sure. Um, we'll do that. And I'm going to guess on the trauma one, if that's okay. Guess so on the trauma. This, no. Yeah. So the, <laughs> the, <laughs> it, when it comes to, I've taken a uh, year off or I had a long break and I've gone through puberty and then my body is changing the main thing to do is explain that what they're experiencing is fear, normal, natural fear. That's why sometimes the science stuff that we get bored by, like, hey, Jeff, give me the good stuff. Give me the progressions. Give me the magic formula. No, you have to understand what's going on in your body so that when we're using these strategies, they they make sense. Otherwise, you're just, you know, throwing everything. What is it? Throwing everything with the bathwater or whatever that phrase is like, ah, just throw everything at it. The baby out with the bathwater. So, um, then explaining the science, when you grow, I'm talking like even an eighth of an inch, your amygdala, but also the balancing part of your brain, things are going to feel different in your body. An eighth of an inch, just the timing is different. Your power is different. When your body starts changing, you go through puberty, your center of balance changes. Do you think that is going to make 
the alarm center of your brain a little uneasy? Yes! So what do we do with this knowledge? Well, now that I understand, oh, I need a progression. I need to do strength and conditioning. If you actually want to get over the fear, you then need to transition your body into who you now are, not who you were. And that's that mental piece, right? Oh, I'm comparing myself to a year before. So do we want to keep comparing ourselves to the year before? Or do we want to just meet where we are now and start from here? You choose. Because every time you're thinking about the year before, you're expecting to like cut, you know, an eighth of an inch off my feet so that I feel the same or take the change from the weight in my hips up to down. Like you can't change it. So let's use something about it now. Really quick about the trauma stuff. In general, if it's outside trauma, and I'm talking big T trauma, big T trauma, you avoid that. You get insight into whatever mom and dad will tell you. Ask mom and dad what mental strategies the athlete and their psychotherapist are working on. Because if your child has big T trauma, they should be seeing a professional. And ask what you can do. What do these experts say is your role? And it will likely be just reinforcing, hey, don't forget to breathe. Hey, you look like you're at a four or five. Why don't you take a break? If we're talking little T trauma, like I got injured at school, but not in cheer, it's all that same stuff we would normally do with somebody who doesn't have fear. You read where they're at. You make sure they're resting. You're making sure they're taking care of their body. You're checking on that mindset. But more than anything, your job is to progression those skills to where they can be successful but also uncomfortable. Spoken like a champion. Jeff, you're, you really are the best. This is how you know <laughs> that you know what you're talking about. You just take questions and you're like, here's, you know, dude, you're, you're awesome. You, you're, you I really are. That. All right, here we go. This next question is once they're gone, I'm assuming mental blocks, is there a way to prevent them from happening again? Oh, yes, there is. Change your mindset. Mm -hmm. Rather than, I don't ever want that thing to happen to me again. Change your mindset to if it ever happens to me again, I already have the template on how I can get over it. Yep. So one of the things I do talk to parents about is my role is not to get your kid out of a mental block. I know what, what mental <laughs> block expert. It's not my job to get your kid out of a mental block. Jeff, that is messed up. No, actually it's not. What is the worst thing you can do to a team before they take the floor? We want to win, right? Don't fall. We want to win. We got to hit. We're behind by two tenths of a point. You don't talk about winning at competition. You can talk about winning at practice. And then what do we do at practice? We practice like we're, we want to win. We work hard. We're dedicated. When something bad happens, we learn from it. When you go to a competition, you go to competition to have fun. You go to a competition to as Debbie Love would say, put on a technique show, focus on your technique, focus on your passion. You let your brain turn off and you let your body do what it does. That's competition. Now let's use that same template for a mental block. It's not about getting over a mental block. It's about changing the way in which you perceive a mental block because the problem's not the little wave blocking or freezing. The problem is the way you react. That is what's been stamped in your brain. And that's why you can't get out of a mental block. You've stamped this negative reaction. 
So to your question, how do I make sure my mental block doesn't come back? Stop worrying about your mental block coming back. Focus on your reaction when you don't throw a skill and you can take a deep breath and go, it's okay. Fear is normal. Hey, coach, can I get a spot? That is how you keep mental blocks away. Great stuff, man. Dude, Jeff, Thank you. I just said this. You're the man. <laughs> All right, Jeff, let's get into, you know what? I need, I need, Jeff, your years of study <clears throat> on mm-hmm. this subject is very apparent. You <laughs> truly are a blessing to our industry. So that is very kind of you to say, and it feeds my heart. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Um, all right, let's get into these last four questions. All right. Uh, and then we'll wrap it up here. And you, you've been awesome this entire time. You, you, I say this it. to everyone, but you really are. You're welcome <laughs> back anytime. So um, cool. let's go here. What's something that needs to start, stop, or change in the industry? Mm-hmm. So for sake of time, I don't want to bore people. Let, let's stick with <laughs> one. Yep. Um, it would be for me to, as a coach, to start providing athletes with strategies to solve things. Mm -hmm. Let me go really big. I want, why don't we have any leaders on our team? Where are my leaders at? You didn't teach leadership. You didn't explain leadership. You didn't define leadership. You're not giving them things to understand what makes or doesn't make a leader. I want more leaders on the team. It's a very average coach thing to say. I'm looking for at least you to level up. So what would a good coach say? Hey, I want to see more leaders on this team. I'm noticing that we all kind of have this negative slash complacent culture going on. And we're going to have a lot of athletes not push to where we need them to be if we don't decide to come together and choose to be great. So I'm like talking about it and I explain a great coach understands this generation does not and has not been taught leadership skills. They have not been given the opportunity. I don't know about you, Jason, but I can tell you for myself. When I was a child, what happened? I was sent outside, go play. I had to go walk to my neighbors and we would create games. We'd play kickball. We'd play ghost in the graveyard and we would basically lead ourselves and we would create our own rules. And if somebody was cheating, we directed it. That's not our culture for most places anymore. We have play dates being set up by mom and dad. We have kids in competitive cheer year round. They don't have this opportunity to just lead each other. We've taken that away. There is a benefit to this. So I'm not knocking any kind of organized sport because there is greatness to it, right? I love all-star cheer. I love competitive cheer, but we have to be purposeful now on how we teach and create leadership. So I talk about leadership. What are the qualities of leadership? There are vocal leaders and non-vocal leaders. What are the four qualities of a non-vocal leader? What are the four qualities of a vocal leader? How can I improve this? We can all be a leader at one minute, 10 seconds, one second, every single practice. What are you doing today by action to be a leader? It's what an excellent coach does. So that's, that's just one template. And we could use that for, you know, a correction of a stunt, a mental block. Instead of saying, throw your skill, instead of saying, lock your leg, 
give them the tools and strategies on what that would look like. I feel like I need to have you on again just to talk about leadership. Like, I feel like you had a lot, like what you said in that 30 seconds, I'm like, I I feel like he could expand that out for an hour. (laughs) I could, yeah. There you go. We're having you back on. Okay. Um, So what is a, everyone gets tripped up on this question, but you're going to, I know you're going to have something for me. I feel What is a rumor, narrative, or myth you want to debunk? It could be about (laughs) you, about cheerleading, about mental blocks. What's something we need to debunk mental blocks aren't real (laughs) that that they are not real yeah that they're not real that is you know what this is a good opportunity for me to see gray all right tell me why you don't think mental blocks are real mental blocks are real i have heard okay mental blocks aren't real because really what it is is performance anxiety Uh, mental blocks are talking about the mental piece. It doesn't have to do with physical skills. My hope is we learn today that your mental capacity of your amygdala, and we didn't get to big brain, little brain, but the way in which they process the thing in front of you is going to give you a green light, red light, or a yellow light to your physical skills. So mental blocks do impact your physical body. So they are real. If you don't want to believe them, that's great. But the reality, whatever you want to call it, you can call it a hoodad. Or in golfing, they call mental blocks yips. Whatever you want to call it, it's fear. And it's that overwhelming fear that causes a freeze response. You can't argue that. There you go. It has been debunked. Mental blocks are real people. Jeff, who else should we have on the show? All right. So... Other than myself, again, maybe talking about (laughs) intentional building an intentional culture or talking about leadership. Uh, Other than myself, I think uh, Justin Schneider has a lot to say. He is a fantastic tumbling coach, but he also brings uh, his background in kinesiology and biomechanics to really help break down skills and make them safe. Uh, He also has a wonderful growth mindset. So I think he would be great. Um, and then I have another friend that I think is great. I don't think she would do it, but I'm going to throw her name out there. Laura Dusing uh, of Champion Cheer Culture. She does a lot of work with um, high school teams, uh, very competitive high school teams, Georgia, Illinois, et cetera. Um, she's worked with uh, Ace out in Alabama and all that kind of stuff. So she's done all-star work as well. But she and I align very closely when it comes to growth mindset and intentional program culture. And she is probably the most unknown, most helpful person that I can think of in the cheerleading industry. She's I feel like phenomenal. I might have just seen her on TikTok. Really? Today. I feel like I literally because I remember seeing Champion Cheer. Okay. Like yeah, specifically. C three. C three. And when well, this isn't champion in Texas. I thought it was someone from champion in Texas nope. and I clicked on it. It wasn't the, the champion from Texas, but she was talking about a bunch of different things. And like, I just get the feeling that I saw her today on That's TikTok. Crazy. There we go. And then Justin, She's amazing. you guys have heard it. So um, let's yeah. get you guys on. Um, all right, here we go. Last question. Where can people, you know, find you, reach you if they want to stay, you know, your vidzing, how can we stay connected with you? Yep. So you can find me if you are interested. You can find me on uh, YouTube, Mind Body Cheer. You can find me on Facebook, Jeff Benson. 
Uh, you can find me on Instagram, Jeff Benson or Mind Body Cheer. And finally, check out bidzing.tv. And it's mind-body-cheer, I believe. If we want to make sure that's right, let me double check. I'm sorry. We'll have all the links, all the links in the show notes, oh, in the perfect. description. Then we don't need yeah, to, so we'll, we don't need yeah, to worry so we'll about have, it. Then. Yeah, we'll have it all in there. And um, and then the book's on Amazon. Anywhere else yes. you can get the book? Or just Amazon's um, the, the best place? I mean, email me and you can get the book and I'll send it to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I get more money that way. So yeah. I'm not opposed oh, to Oh, there that, we go. Yeah. The email him directly. I can't directly. get it to you as fast, I can't get it to you as fast as uh, Amazon. There you go. So All right. So I, all I, the I links in the description. Yeah, <laughs> I get more money. I did it right. Me. It is bitsing.tv backslash minds dash body dash cheer. There we go. All right. Jeff, you have been a great guest. <laughs> Thank you. We're having you on for leadership. What was the other one you said? Leadership. And what was the other one? Building an intentional culture. There we go. Love it. We're having you on for sure. I love it. Jeff, thank you so much for coming on the show. And I'm serious about having you on again. Let's make it happen. Everyone else, thanks for listening. Share this podcast. Leave a five-star rating. Leave a review. Take a survey. Make a donation. Until next time, 5678, we're out. Hey, Let's Talk Cheer podcast listeners, although this episode has come to an end, there are a few other cheer podcasts out there that you can add to your weekly routine. If you're a gym owner or gym director and want to dive more into the business side of things, then check out the Connecting People and Profits podcast with host Dan Cotton. If you're a former cheerleader and want to hear the success stories from other former cheer athletes after their cheering days are done, then you'd love the Life After Cheer podcast with host Danielle Donovan. And if you're a cheer parent and need another cheer parent to relate to and want to hear things from a cheer mom's perspective, then the Cheer Mom Podcast is for you. Check one of them out. Check them all out. And we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for watching the Let's Talk Cheer Podcast. Definitely subscribe so you never miss out on anything from the show.